and people always say, well, didn't you wish you was taller? You know, Brett, believe it or not, I never wished I was taller. partner how are you mugsy it's awesome to talk to you baby it's awesome i'm so excited uh, it's such an honor it's oh it's not an honor, honor. come on it an is, old fucker true. an old fucker like me is beyond i feel like a little kid in a candy store i'm all excited to talk to you what, what does that but, feel like i mean it feels great but i mean as you started this thing off you know and as you what you all about self-made so you know, to one another, brother. Here we go. You know, I got it. Oh, cheers. Cheers, my friend. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. So everybody who's watching, everybody who's watching, I'm Brett Barish. I own, uh, as I said earlier, I own a bunch of liquor brands. Uh, Ace of Spades is my past brand, Doucet, Bel Air, Bamboo, McQueen. And uh, I get to interview and talk to people I idolize, people I respect, music, business, entertainment, sports. Um, Muggsy, just a shout out to your daughter, Brittany, and uh, Emily, who works for me in North Carolina. Uh, and she, I'm just, I'm just giving a little story. She texted me and she's like, Brett, would you be interested in talking to Muggsy folks? And I'm like, and it hit me and I got the shivers because my God, the whole concept of self-made is you. Again, from one to another, you know how you know how that mindset is. You know when you we get a uh, certain goal or certain dream in our head, you know we want to pursue it, and we ain't gonna let anybody tell us no that we can't accomplish. So I, I don't like to hear the the success success side. I like to hear the struggle because I get inspired by the hard part of it. But what does self made mean for you? Well, you know where I came from uh, from then the city of Baltimore. Uh, and you know about the game of basketball, how everybody feel like the game's supposed to be played for bigger, taller guys. You know, and during my era, when I growing up, you know, coaches wanted big guys, you know, the barrier that I had to break down. For me, you know, it was a, it, it was a goal in my head that I wanted to play. And every time I, you know, of course, I had to work and get better at it. And I had a, I was fortunate enough to have a young man in my neighborhood who really taught me the game, you know, and I was just like a sponge learning that information, you know, because I knew I was small. I knew I wasn't going to get, I know I wasn't going to get much taller because my mom was only five one and my dad was five six and my brother was the tallest. He was five seven. So I knew I was going to be in that five, <laughs> that five feet range. So I didn't concentrate. And, and as a kid and people always say, well, didn't you wish you was taller? You know, Brett, believe it or not, I never wished I was taller. I really did. I always knew that and I always accepted my height, but I just learned it as, you know, as a small player, but I knew that how to try to impact the game as a small player on both sides of the ball. So once I learned that information, you know, for me, you know, that was, that was my, you know, my way out. So who, first, who was the person who, 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 who inspired you for basketball? Who was that person? Well, my sister started off because she was older than me. You know, may she rest in peace. Uh, she was the one that always went out and played basketball. And I'm like, well, why is my sister out here playing? And by her going over to the recreation center, of course, I had to tag along with her. And once I got to that recreation center, 
it was a gentleman. He played basketball in college. He wasn't fortunate enough to go play in the NBA. And he was kind of diminutive as well. And he just taught me the, the, the fundamentals of the game as a small player, how to kind of create a little havoc in terms of making your opponent because, you're, you know, it starts with the point guard, you know, knowing where it all started and how to disrupt that guy and then how to just use my speed and quickness to get around my opponent and, you know, get my shot off because it was bigger guys. How, how old were you at the time? I was only seven years old when I, turned, when I learned the game. You know, I was like hey. six, six years, seven years old when I learned the game, and it was, you know, from that moment on. But did you take to it right then? Did you, did you, love, did you love the game? I, I did. I really did because I got, I got my first basketball as, you know, as a kid when I was only three years old from my godmother. And it was just this big red, white, and blue object that I couldn't control. You know, it was just so bouncing everywhere and driving my mom crazy. But as I got a little older, once I, like I said, I got taught the game and how to dribble the ball and, you know, how to use your fingertips and how to get the ball over a tall opponent. And that kind of gave me some insight on, you know, and worked on it over and over and hours and hours. And it helped my skill set to get better. And then, you know, as my height, of course, it still was a, a, a question for a lot of the coaches, a lot of the players. But for me, you know, once I got on the court and I had the mindset that if I played against the best and if I had success against the best, I must be included with the best. But, but, it's, but it's harder than that because how, how, I mean, as a kid, when did you said you realized you didn't have the height, but when did you really realize that that wasn't going to be in your favor? Well, you know, at the age of five, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I got shot, you know, and, uh, in, you know, in my neighborhood, you know, I was banned, you know, a place where I shouldn't have been. And uh, so uh, that was a change of the mindset, really. And, um, you know, growing up in that inner city, you know, people just think the lifespan, you know, just you ain't going to live past 20. Uh, but, you know, fortunate enough and lucky enough that I had some people in my corner. My mom was really very supportive, my brothers, and then uh, the gentleman who taught me the game. Uh, really helped me out a lot. So that, that kind of kept me off the streets and it kept me kind of focused on possibly, you know, a means of getting an education, going somewhere and hopefully, you know, can change the narrative for my family. But I, I assume, take, if, you take a, if you take little steps, I just assume that, that I didn't, gr I love basketball. Basketball was my sport. I didn't grow up till my senior year of high school. You know, my <laughs> junior, senior year, and but even I remember being considered short or small, and I can just imagine. I just I put myself in your shoes and think to myself, I can't imagine every step of your existence in basketball. Someone's telling you, you know what? It's going to stop for you. Don't assume that you can keep going with this. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Well, every level, every level, because. A lot of folks wasn't accustomed to a guy my size playing the way I played. I always played aggressive. But, you know, I believed in me, you know, and I believed in, you know, the things that was floating around in my head. And like I said, every time I stepped on the court, and I worked hard on my skill set. You know, it didn't just happen overnight. I spent many hours trying to learn how to dribble the basketball with my head up, how to get around opponents, you know, using broomsticks you know, uh, trying to shoot over top of them to make sure that I can get it over top of a big, taller player hand. And, and then studying the game, you know, learning what a point guard responsibility was, 
in terms of how to impact the game. And then I, I was a sponge, you know, the, the Mr. Howe, he just, he embedded me and, and I was fortunate enough to grow up with a guy by the name of Reggie Williams, who also played in the NBA uh, with me, you know, on my Baltimore high school team. And, uh, you, we, you know, we just searched, you know, we just soaked that information up. And, and again, you know, a guy my size, I still had to continue to, you know, impress the coaches and believe that a guy my size can run your program. That would it took. So, so take, I have two questions. Take the first part, which is where do you think the drive comes from to not listen to anybody else telling you you can't do this shit? Where does well, that for, come from? Well, for one, I think, again, uh, uh, being shot at an early age, thinking that you're about to die, but all of a sudden, here it is, you're still here. And from that moment on, it was like, you know, hell, what the heck? And then Anything my mom possible. always. But my mom and I didn't have no clue what she was, what she meant by it. Every time I came home from my basketball games, playing basketball, and telling her, you know, how cruel the kids were out there talking about my height and so forth. But she, you know, she just always said, you know, tired. I was tired. Wasn't Muggsy to her? She was tired. You know, no one can be an expert in your life. If you like basketball, you keep playing. You don't want to know how big your heart. They don't know your capabilities. And I was like, yeah, all right, mom, okay, yeah. I didn't know what it meant, but as I got older, that yeah. really, it really resonated with me. And that was something that I was kind of pretty much living every time I stepped on the court. Even though people said things to me, I figure if I get them out there, if I take the ball from them and make them look silly and embarrass them, and I come down there and lay the ball yep. up over top of them, you know, it's going to make them look crazy to people going, you know, because you always got people watching. Yep. You know, so that kind of gave me confidence and always built up my confidence. And I always believe, again, in my skill set. And I just never, you know, kind of waved at it. So I, I will say, I want to shout out to all the moms out there because I'm in your, in, your, in your court in the sense of it took me a long time to realize my mom is my biggest supporter. And sometimes you need that in your corner, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's, your, that's who you want to impress. You want that type of uh, support. Coming from the people that, that per, especially the person that kept that cord that you connected to, you know, the first thing you always say if you're running from a dog, you know, mom, mom, first thing you get in trouble, mom, you ain't hollering dad. So my mom was always there for me. You know, my dad had some issues growing up. You know, he got, you know, put in prison when I was 12 years yep. old. And uh, so, you know, those things, those hard times, but, you know, he was the man he was for us. He provided for his family. So I never made him rest in peace as well. So I'll never, you know, talk anything negative about my pops because he was, he was the one that uh, gave me a lot of breath, the air, to, you know, brought me into this world. So, you know, shout outs to pops, you know, rest in peace. But my mom was the one, though. She was the one that really, you know, gave me that confidence, you know, watching her go back to school, you know, when she even dropped out as 11th graders at my pops went to prison. So that kind of inspired me as well, you know, Sandy, you know, the hardship that she had to endure in terms of raising four kids, you know, it always in my head said that, you know, one day I wish I could, could do something good for my mom and change the narrative of our family. So, so for, for someone like me or anybody who's listening, I have to assume, because again, I, to me, I get inspired by this. More people told you it's not going to happen for you. This is not going to be a sport for you than told you, Yes, you're in this. You're gonna do it. Am I right? Oh, uh, a lot of folks tell me. You know, I used to wrestle during the same time as basketball. 
you know, because wrestling was a sport that had no criteria in terms of height and yep. short. It was all about your ability. So I did that for so long. And my wrestling coach, he always tried to persuade me that, you know, Muggsy, you know, wrestling, you know, give you a, a, a means of education to go, you get you go to college, you know, you go in and probably provide for your family. You know, you get a lot of, you know, criticism from this basketball stuff. So I really advise you to stick with this wrestling. This could really, can, you know, get you on the way where you, you know, what you want to do. And I really listened to him. I did it all the way up until high school because in high school I couldn't wrestle. It, it was in the same season. And then once yep. I got to high school, I kind of let it go and, because I had so much passion in the game of basketball and I believed in me. And, uh, and you know, the success that I was having, you know, in the neighborhood and throughout the city, it kind of felt like, you know, I'm on my journey. You know, I, I'm a pretty did you, how did you How did you end up at Dunbar? Well, everybody in my family went to Dunbar. So that was a school that I always thought that I was going to go to. But after I came out of, you know, in the ninth grade, which is our junior high school, um, even though I live across the street from Dunbar, uh, they start sending kids to their zone school. And yep. my zip code kind of matched up with the zone school, which was Southern High School. And uh, so I wind up at Southern High School for one year. Uh, they kind of lost my records for some odd reason. I don't need to go into that. But I had to stay there for one year when all my friends were at Dunbar. And then, of course, after that, that year was over with, I was blessed to get my transcripts and go to Dunbar and course we was blessed to go ahead and do some amazing things my two years that I was was, was you joining the team was that a, a done deal just based on your talent well it was a school that it was a citywide school it was a school that was known for dentistry so if I want to say that I was interested in dentistry I can transfer it over to the school but my main purpose was going there to play for play to play for coach Wade and play yeah. for the dumb sports you know, because, you know, they they lost the year before uh, to a school that they felt like they should have won. And they felt like if I was there that we probably could have, you know, beat that team. And But, you know, I was fortunate enough to go there the, year, the next year. And we went on and won, you know, 59 games and didn't lose any. And we was the national championships, you know, my two years there. So on a side note, do you think you're one of the greatest high school teams ever? I do think so. I really do. You know, we. Fortunate enough to have four guys. Uh, may Reggie Lewis, who was a great Boston Celtic. Uh, may he rest in peace. And, of course, David Wingate and the, and also Reggie uh, Williams. So I believe we did. I believe we had the um, every position pretty much covered. Um, and it was kind of tough. And, again, you had to play against me. You had to bring the ball off the court against me. And that was tough. But I think it's interesting because you said something that I didn't even appreciate until you said it. The fact that you could – make somebody look bad is almost as worse as anything because you've, you've got the height disadvantage and you're not supposed to put, make them look bad. So it's almost, is there a chip on your shoulder in the sense of doing that? You know what I mean? Oh, it, it was always a chip on my shoulder uh, because it was trying to prove and letting anybody you yeah. belong um, that you're just as good as a uh, 6'4 guy, 6'5 or 6'7 guy. You know, you can impact the game uh, just as well or if not even better than them. Um, and that was something that I always kind of focused on. You know, I pressured my guy 94 feet. And I know as guards, you know, we like – they like cushion. They like to bring the ball up and just get let the game flow. They don't want to have nobody 
challenging that dribble every step of the way. You know, that could be exhausting. So, but I used that as my strength. You know, I used all the little things that I knew that affected the game, you know, for me positively. And then, especially for myself as well as for my team. And that became something that started to grow in the coaches and they start to see, hey, you know, high school, you know, then in college, he's still able to maintain and still be effective against the best guards that they're considering. So why not consider him as one of the best guards coming out of the college? So, so in high school, who were you, who were you recruited by? Well, when I was coming out, I was recruited by Wake Forest, uh, um, Virginia, Seton Hall, Boston University. Um, but Seton Hall was really, uh, they was really interested in me. Virginia, they wanted me to red shirt because they had the kid, Ricky Stokes, who was also was a smaller guard at the time. And, you know, and I felt like, you know, I wasn't going to do that. And Georgetown, you know, Coach Thomas, he was interested. He was, he, you know, but he had... Uh, the kid Michael Jackson there, who was only a sophomore, you know, because my friends, them, uh, my guys, Reggie Williams and David Wingate, they all attended uh, Georgetown. And everybody did just, they want you to go to Georgetown? Did they want you to go? I, yeah, they did. Everybody assumed I was going to go. And uh, But, you know, he was a sophomore. I didn't feel like that I want to put myself in that situation. I had to fight for two years to prove or, you know, that I belong, that I was a starting point guard. And plus, Wake Forest, it just created – I think a better, more opportunity for me, you know, in terms of the school situation, if things didn't materialize on the court, then off the court, I could be in a great situation getting my degree from college. Do, so do, do, do you remember when you, did you, when did you think I can play in the NBA? Well, I always knew I can play in the NBA, but I think the coaches and the everybody else start to believe right after my sophomore and junior year. Uh, my junior year, I got to represent the U.S. team. Uh, we yep. all went over to the last team that won the, win the gold medal uh, before they sent the 92 Dream Team uh, because the 88 Olympic Screen Team had lost the gold medal. But myself, uh, the David Robinson, the Kenny Smith. But I knew right after that um, performance, winning the gold medal, you know, playing again, they sent the best players of they considered – the elite players that represent the United States. And I was one of those players. So I felt like I was in the conversation. And, uh, but still, I had to continue to go prove myself. Uh, my senior year after we finished, we had to go to Portsmouth. But right after that Portsmouth, I knew that my stock had risen, not only just possibly going, but could be highly drafted. So, so I'll ask you a question that relates to me, which is, I think I have five very successful brands in the, in the business world. Hugely successful. To this day, I still don't, oh, thank you, thank you. Bel Air, everybody. Everyone up. But Muggsy, to this day, I still don't feel like it, I get the respect I deserve, or it's real, or it's, it's natural, or I still feel like I have to prove myself. Did you ever, did it ever sink in for you that, you know what, I don't have to prove myself anymore. It's there. Well, you know, the minute that we come complacent, then that's when, you know, our drive ends. You know, that keeps us at the edge. That keeps us hungry. You know, we always want to hear people doubting us, believing that we're not going to able to take it to another level. You know, because they don't know what's within us. You know, we yeah. only know, know our capability. You know, so that kind of fuels us, and that gives a little more – 
you know, gas to the fire to let us know, hey, I love the way you think because I think totally different. And that, and that just, you know, and that's why we are who we are, you know, and that's what makes us the people that we are because we don't see the way they see it. And people do, don't do, do you have a chip on your shoulder in the sense of I got to prove people wrong? I always feel like I have a chip. I just, you know, no matter what endeavors that I kind of in, in, involve myself in, because you, I want the best results. And if I feel like I got to, that gives me that energy and that drive to continue to do the things that I need to do. Because again, like I say, once I become complacent with it and I start feeling like oh, I have made it, I'm here, I'm there, you know, things start to go by the wayside and things that don't be as crisp and accurate and the T's and I's don't be crossed as we once go forward. So let's take two different moments. You're drafted number 12 in the NBA in 1987, right? Yes. Hometown team. Yes. Up the street. What's that like? And then a year later, they let you go. Uh, I tell you, it was uh, unbelievable. The weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders when the Washington Bullets called my name 12 uh, in the draft in 87. Um, and, and having the experience to be, you know, playing in your backyard. Um, but, you know, I understood the business of it. At first, I didn't. Um, I was, in, you know, I was just with, mixed with uh, a bunch of older guys that was more or less on the tail end of their career. And then, you know, the Washington Bullets, they decided they wanted to go in a different direction. I thought they was going to kind of put uh, younger youth guys around me as we go forward, but that didn't happen. But again, I always say it was a match made in heaven when I came to Charlotte um, because that's where, you know, I was really, truly able to blossom. Uh, I played with some amazing guys, the Dell. Cards, Alonzo, Mar So, sorry, I asked. Did you feel, uh, getting back to the, the bullets letting you go and Charlotte picking you up, which is a godsend for you. Yes. But did, did, it, did it feel like, oh shit, I got to start all over again? I got to prove myself? Well, not exactly, um, because I had a year under my belt. I had a year playing with the bullets, playing in the league. So I kind of knew what to expect. And knowing that you was going to an expansion team, you look, I was going back to North Carolina where I came from um, in, in college. So I knew a little bit about the town. And then I knew some of the players that, you know, that I matched up with. You know, Del Curry and myself, we were the young ones as well as we drafted Rex Chapman. And, um, and I had opportunity to meet Kirk Ramos and Kelly Trapuca and those guys during the league that one oh, year. Kelly. Yeah. Kelly yeah. Trapuca. Kelly Trapuca and Kirk Rambis, those guys was part of that first expansion team. So that kind of helped us in a sense. Uh, but we knew we weren't going to be very good. Um, but at the same time, we still had to prove ourselves that we belonged, Del Curry, myself, because that was his second year in the league, going into his third, um, coming off his second year, going to his third. So we had to try to prove ourselves. And we were just hungry. So, so – when I look at, for example, your Instagram, you, you own the fact of your height. You own it. You're using that as a positive. Was there ever a, a moment before all this where, you're, where that, you don't want to hear that anymore. I don't want to hear about my height. You know what I mean? Well, well, for me, you know, I don't even get caught up into the height thing. You know, I don't really get any type of, uh, I don't feel any type of way when someone, uh, talk about the height or they try to, or I try to use it as, I'm not using it as 
any kind of way. But I just want to let folks know that if you are some sort of have some sort of deficiency, what we all have, you know, yep. accept it, you know, accept who you are, you know, look yourself in that mirror and love that. Don't like yourself, but love that reflection back because God made us all equal and we all have a gift and we have it. And it's all us to recognize what that gift is. So I always try to spread that message and, you know, try to live my life in that regards. Um, and that, you know, just happened to be part of my life. Do, do you think that, uh, take it from, so now you're in it, now you've, did you ever feel like this isn't going to go away? Meaning Charlotte's not going to let me go. I'm here for the long term. I proved myself. You, you know what? Because I just assume, I assume the, my, it's a terrible thing to say, but I'm, this is like therapy for me. I assume the worst because something bad is going to happen. Do you ever feel that way that it's not permanent? Well, you know, you, you, you try to live in the moment and you try to don't try to go beyond yourself. And that's what I always did, you know, and knowing the business that you're in, because I knew basketball, the service that comes along with the organization, if they feel like you're not providing or some sort of thing, then they have the right to ship you elsewhere. And for me, I always had that understanding that it is a business. You can't get com comfortable, like I said, get complacent and, and feel like, you know, this is uh, going to last forever. But at the same time, that's what you're hoping because the things that you give to the organization, you know, your, your sweat, your blood, you know, you, you give it all through the community and so forth. You figure that, you know, they're going to appreciate those type of assets that you brought to the, to the table. But again, it's a business. And things happen. Unfortunately, you know, for me, I last, you know, fortunate enough, I, I was here for nine years, which had a, a good impact on my life. That's one of the reasons, again, I'm still residing in Charlotte. But think about it. You, you lasted longer than the, in the NBA than David, than Reggie. Yeah, I Isn't did. Isn't that wild? Well, you know, that's, that's how it goes. You know, injuries always kind of plays a part in certain things in life and, uh, probably where I would have played 17 years if mine wouldn't have, you know, the, the angels wouldn't have called on her. But uh, it was, it, it was, it was what it was. 14 years was my time, and uh, so, so that's what so I felt. I interviewed, I, I interviewed Warren Sapp on Monday, or Monday or yesterday. I can't remember Monday. And Sapp said, I asked him, what's the difference between him, meaning he's a Hall of Famer, and the next guy who's just a lineman? And his response was you know what? I'm smarter. I studied more. I read more. I did more. Uh, um, I'm, what was you, what do you think your edge is from everybody else to get to the NBA and excel? Well, just for me as a small player, I understood and I accept who I was and, and the type of style that I had. And I didn't try to play like anyone else. I didn't want to play, um, or try to uh, play like a bigger guard. I played the way that I knew can be very effective, uh, make guys around you better. I didn't try to have to be a point guard to go out there and try to score 30, 30 points, 40 points a game and be selfish in that regard because I knew that wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. And I know that ain't what runs a basketball team. You know, a, a great point guard is a guy that sees it from the beginning and the end. And he know how to, you know, make guys around him better at the same time, you know, still able to get his and keep the team balanced. And I had that ability to do that. So, you know, and I realized that at an early age and I just continued to 
you know, continue that. You did what you were good at. Yeah, you know, you, like I say, God gives you a gift, and I recognize it early, and uh, and I stuck with it. So let me ask you some personal fun questions. I'm just curious. Growing up, who was your favorite player? Well, I believe it was the guy in my neighborhood. You know, I wasn't the guy that watched the NBA and all that. I was a guy named Dwayne Wood who played the game. He was small. Uh, he was aggressive. And he kind of taught me, you know, how to be effective on both ends of the floor. So that was a guy that I kind of – Am I wrong? Am I right or wrong? He's the, he's the guy who coined Muggsy. Yeah. He's in the book. <laughs> he's he's he's. But it, it, do you think you look back at him and think Jesus? This guy created this persona that I am today. Well, he definitely did. He gave me, you know. And the thing about it, you don't give your own self a nickname, you yeah. know. So that's yeah. that's the thing about it. So I, you know, I was, I, my mama named me Tyrone. So I felt like I was gonna go through Tyrone my whole life as that individual. But you know, in your neighborhood, they decide that you're gonna be this person and. You know, of course, I didn't like it at first. You know, I thought they were talking about my mug, so I was a little not too happy about it. But then again, they start to, you know, I accept you it. it. I owned it. I accept it, and I knew what it was is, and what it was about. Is Muggsy and Tyrone two different people? Uh, absolutely, in the, in some regards, but they so similar, too. They so similar because they think about me, you know, I'm that gentle and aggressive and off the court, you know, I feel like Muggsy's and Tyrone's that same guy in terms of passionate in the community. You know, when he come up to any individual that he meets, I figure they're the same individual. Who did you hate playing the most against individually in the NBA? Well, believe it or not, I, I love playing against everybody. That was just a joy for me from the Magic Johnsons all the way down to the Spud Webb because that was the beauty of for me the dynamic of it, you know, having to go up against these type of players and challenging, you know, is the skill set that really uh, where I was more worried about. It wasn't the height. It was more set the skill set, the Isaiah Thomas, you know, um, you know, from the Mark Price to the Michael Adams to the Mark Jackson, and I can keep going on. So, so who, who did you hate the most? Hate the I most? Hate, hate. hate. Hate to know that I got to go up against this guy. I got to play against him. Well, I mean, people would probably would say a, a taller player like a Magic Johnson or some sort, but, you know, that was my biggest challenge, those type of players. You know, I really love that because everybody expects them to just go down and post you up, and then all of a sudden you ain't going to be effective you coming out of the game. But that's what I relish the most, playing against guys like that. Um, you know, a smaller player, Spud Webb, you know, I love playing against Spud, but – those are the players that you kind of, you know, like give you the most kind of uh, headaches because you play against your own kind, your own, in your own stature. Interesting. So it, did you play harder against them or less hard in the sense of you want them to do well? You know what I mean? No, well, we play hard against each other, but it was just the skill set that yeah. we had that always showed up against each other. You know, he was quick. I was quick. He had he could jump out the gym. You know, the type of guy I could yeah. jump. I could. I was a more of a passer than he was. But you know, we had so much, you know, joy. You know, and he was just a year, a couple years ahead of me. So I kind of modeled and, and you know, and always supported Spud in his journey because he was the one that started first. Are you surprised when you look when you think back? There's nobody. There's nobody since you. Right? Think about it. There's nobody since you 
Are you surprised that there's nobody that's that's taking shape in the NBA today? Well, yeah, we had a couple guys like the Earl Borkin. Earl Borkin was about five five, and we had Gary Grant. Um, then the next go up, you, the Isaiah Thomas, the current Isaiah Thomas today, uh, to be what about five eleven, five ten, possibly six feet tall. Uh, but it's not as many small guards. I mean, they consider small six feet. Trey Young, you know, the small guard stature. Um, we had the kid, uh, Travis do you, Willis. Do you, think they're, do you think they're getting the raw end of the stick? You know what I mean? They're getting – they can play, but they're just not – Well, I, for one, I think, again, they plan – some of them probably plan a little different. You know, are they trying to do that point guard and trying to score the 30 and the 40 points? I think that's – going to be the way and again I keep saying that defensively is always going to be your biggest challenge because of the height uh, component you know they're going to always try to take advantage of the height and if once you get that part and able to you know become so aggressive where they can't take you down low they can't affect you defensively and you're able to create offensively because the space I mean it's a lot more space it is than where I played um, you can't hand check guys the way they used to hand check us back when I played, so there's a little more freedom out there. Um, do you and, think you think you think you could play today? Oh, in today's I, NBA game, I believe every NBA player I believe they can play in every era. That's just the way they think, you know. So, so I I was on uh, Little Wayne's uh, radio show on Apple, and I thought it was really interesting because I was saying, even from my perspective, you got to be good at what you do and don't try to be like anybody else. And he said the same thing in the sense of even music, don't emulate somebody else, just be what you're good at. But to me, that's what you're describing. Don't try to play their game, be what's good at your game. Does that resonate? Absolutely, because your uniqueness is what got you to who you are. Yeah. It's not about trying to be or emulate someone else. It's about your creativity, your understanding of what your gift is and being able to, you know, expel that and, you know, explore that to, to what you're trying to accomplish. And that's, and that's who you are. So why, you know, that's the only way you're going to be the great person that you are. Do players, do players reach out to you? Players who want to play in the NBA, players who, uh, who want to aspire, who, who have the height issue in the sense well, I've, I've mentored quite a few guys that came through the league. You know, we spoke of, you know, the Isaiah Thomas, those guys, Nate Robinson. You know, we talked about some, you know, some some advice, gave them some advice and some important things that they kind of focused on going forward. And uh, and they was receptive to it. You know, those guys were receptive to Chris Paul when he before he first came into the league as well, those guys. So, um, and, and that's what it's about. You know, it's a fraternity. You know, we always consider them as a fraternity. Um, now and I'm considered an OG, you know, so that's uh, that's something that you now accept and you understand that, you know, the tenure that you had in the NBA and the, the, the journey that you had, that it's always going to continue and passing information is always helpful and that's why we pass it forward. Do, do you feel like, do, do you feel that, because I do, that, that, Again, getting back to the idea of a chip on your shoulder, that you, you have something to offer. You, you are an inspiration for others. 
you know, Mugs, hold on. leading by example, you know, and I hope that you know, the things that I yeah. my life and, you know, on and off the court, my, 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 my drive, what I was, you know, hopefully they can get something out of it. You know, uh, I'm a realist, you know, I'm a type of guy that I don't kind of, you know, hope and wish, you know, I'm a type of guy that if I want, if I want something, you know, I'm going to find and do my research and try to accomplish that goal and not be a hypocrite about it. Who's your favorite player today? Well, I love a lot of guys. You know, I love the LeBron James, and of course, I always gonna love the Stephen Curry. You know, Stephen has a special place in my heart, and seeing the journey, his, you know, the career that he's having, him and Seth, you know, it's just amazing. You know, uh, because of the closeness that I am with the family, and then of course, I love Chris Paul, Wake Forest guy. Um, also love the LeBrons, the Westbrooks, the Jobs. I'm just a fan. You know, I'm a fan of the game, and I love it, and I love. I'm glad that we're gonna be watching some tonight. Oh yeah. So just <laughs> just so you know where where I come from. So me growing up, my my favorite. I was a basketball. That was my thing. Uh-huh. Um, George Gervin was my player. Ooh. I had I had the 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 Iceman poster in my bedroom. That was my guy. I love George Gervin. The two basketballs on the side. Exactly. Kelly Petruca, Kelly Petruca, I loved, I loved, because he was on the Bulls at one point. I loved him. I loved him. I saw Doc Rivers play in high school. My dad took me to a game. He was like a man among children. Uh, he played in Illinois. I saw Isaiah Thomas play in the championship. My dad took me again to a game uh, when he played at St. Joe's. I loved Isaiah at Indiana. He was my guy. I played at... Uh, uh, basketball camp at Ray Meyer. Remember Ray Meyer? Yeah. Well, well, we retired Ray Meyer. You know, um, we beat him in my freshman year at Wake Forest. That was his last year of coaching. And uh, who was on the yeah. team then? Who who was who, who was on yeah, his team? Kenny Patterson was the point guard. I love Kenny. Kenny, yeah, he was from New York, and you know he had those handles that all oh, kind of. And uh, so we we played them in. Actually, the Elite 16, uh, Sweet 16, we was fortunate enough to beat them, and uh, we retired Coach Miles that year. He was great. I, with Mark McGuire and Dave Cummings and, and uh, Kenny and uh, – oh, God, it brings back memories. Anyways, that, that's, yeah. my, that, 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 that's my look at the world. So, so um, on a fun note, how did Curb, Curb Your Enthusiasm come about? <laughs> Well, believe it or not, he called, you know, uh, Larry David called me and my agent, and uh, they got me on the phone. And, and this is a time where I was going through some difficult time with my mom because she was sick and she was going through cancer. And my mom told me, you know, go ahead and do it because I wasn't going to go do the show. But Larry got on the phone. He got to explain what the role was. And, and I told him, I said, well, I'm the perfect guy for that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I got there and, and uh, you know, just had a great time with him and Richard Lewis. They really welcomed, open, it was open arms. They really made my time very pleasant. I mean, I just had a blast. They just was so funny the entire time. Of course, it was the ad lib type of uh, scene and, uh, and I just enjoyed it. I had a good time. Oh, I watched it again before the call and I'm like, oh God, this is amazing. It's iconic. <laughs> it's iconic. Yeah. Um, what, what, for anybody out there who's watching or will watch, what's the, what's your message to them when it comes <laughs> to everybody who tells you you can't do it? Forget sports, because it could be anything. 
it could be anything. It could be business or entertainment, music. Um, what do you say to them when they say you can't, you know what, you're, you're not good enough? Well, I mean, that's, that's majority of everybody. You know, people going to just try to discredit you and, and, and try to pull your dreams down. And, and, but that's where it comes within. You know, that's why I say you got to look yourself in that mirror. Not like you got to love yourself and love that reflection. Because you're you you're the one that's in control of your own destiny. Um, mm -hmm. No one can tell you how big your heart and what your capabilities or your potentials are besides yourself. You know when you fall into those type of you know believing someone you know even when they try to put you on a high horse you know you know who you are. That's where that humble ground comes in, comes from, and having that understanding of who you are. You know no one can stop you. No one can stop whatever you're trying to accomplish in life. You know, because you have the determination, the drive, and the willingness to overcome. You know, and that's what we do. We overcome constantly. We don't become complacent. We continue to overcome because we want more. We see more. And we have that mindset. You know, that's where we start having the mindset to be able to see your vision and stay on that path until that vision becomes uh, to the uh, fruition. I'm going to end on that note because it's awesome. Um, again, I think if you can, I was so stoked to talk to you. I think your message is so inspiring from who you are. I hope you continue to share this message. I am, um, uh, you give, I'm your ilk and I'm still doing this. And I, I love the inspiration that you give and you're the epitome of self-made. There's no one who speaks more to this concept of self-made, doing it, not listening, doing your own thing. And God bless you, Muggsy. You're awesome. Well, um, great, buddy. I truly appreciate it. God bless you as well. And I'm amazed again with everything that you've accomplished and continue to uh, accomplish. And I'll tell you, I'm going to continue to take a sip off the road after, after, off the black. I tell you, the black, I'm loving I it. Saw, Rick Ross logged in, so I'm going to tell him you're a fan. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure he gives you a shout out, okay? Absolutely. Tell the boss I say what's up. Thank you. Muggsy, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a, stay That's healthy, fine. stay safe, and, and listen to Muggsy. He knows his shit, man. You can do anything. Stay safe. Cheers, fine. everybody. Cheers. All right.